0: Well, last week we read a verse about a guy named Saul. We kind of read right through it last week, Acts 8, 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That was Acts 8. Now in Acts 7, just the chapter before that, two weeks ago, Acts seven fifty eight. We also read right through this verse two weeks ago. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So if you remember here in this Act 7 story that we talked about two weeks ago, this was right when Stephen, this follower of Jesus, he's given this amazing sermon about Jesus being the way, the rescue. Not uh, religious law or religious rules, but actually the fulfillment of the law And the Messiah. So the holders of all these rules, these religious authorities, this (laughs) enraged them. And so they go to stone this guy, Stephen. Now, according to 2nd century Jewish writing, uh, the stoning came after a guilty trial. About 15 feet from the place of the stoning, they would demand the guy to say that he was guilty, to confess. And then about 6 feet from the stoning... They would strip the guy of all his clothes. And then they would get up to the edge of a cliff. Usually the cliff was about twice the height of the guy's height. So maybe about a 12-foot cliff there. And they'd push him off. Naked guy just falls right down, falls over. He'd have to roll over. They'd drop a huge stone on his chest. Now, if that didn't kill him, all the congregation comes up and they stone him. Just a great, loving, small group. For people to join, good faith community. After they did this to Stephen, all the people, they lay their garments at this religious leader who's there, this guy named Saul. So in Acts 9, Saul's on his way, the same guy. He's on his way to Damascus to arrest some Christians. He's going to round them up. He's going to bound them, rip them from their families, rip them from their homes, haul them back to Jerusalem, and put them in prison. But on his way to Damascus, suddenly he sees a bright light, a bright light shone above him. So Acts 9, 4 through 9, let me reread this passage. And falling to the ground, he heard, Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Point number one is this. We are blind to our blindness until God reveals our blindness to us. Everything has to begin with The unsolvable problem of human nature. Paul Zoll, priest and author, he says this. If your understanding of human nature is inaccurate, everything else collapses. Nothing else will work if you don't see yourself clearly. Everything else collapses. We say it every week in our confessional prayer. We say humanity, we are created beautiful in God's image, and yet there's an unsolvable problem. We are self-oriented. We are sinful. We're flawed. Beautiful yet flawed. We can never quite find our value. We can never quite get our acts together. We never quite get over our guilt. No matter how good we get, no matter, always not quite getting it together. Never quite feel accepted. We can't solve the human nature problem without a breakthrough. We would call this God's grace, this breakthrough. One-way love is the way we like to say it. One way love to us in Christ that pursues us in our horror and our helplessness. And if you've ever been there, wow, right? I mean, your grandfather shows up, you've been jailed from that DUI you haven't told anybody else about. And your grandfather shows up. He bails you out. And on the drive home, you're you're waiting for the lecture because you deserve the lecture. You know what the lecture is going to be. And he never lectures you. He could have. He could have have just let it rip. He never lectures you. All he says is how much he loves you and he believes in you. He told you that in your horror, in your guilt, in your shame. And you know what happened? Have you ever had that happen to you? That kind of love into your horror, that kind of one-way love? your heart toward your grandfather or to whoever it was, is just endeared to him because you have experienced the breakthrough of one-way love to you. It's a breakthrough, a light shown above you. For 18 years, Christy and I have been smushed together in a queen-size bed. Anybody else still smushed together in a queen-size bed? It was really sweet in those early years not lately. <laughs> Just keep waking each other up. Haven't slept well in years. So last year, Christy said, we got to get a king bed. We have to get a king bed. We're not even sleeping anymore. Like, we've got to get, get a king bed. Get. So I Googled that. That was not a number I was prepared to see. That mattress, that bed, I should be able to drive that to Florida. That's the kind of number that was. And so I'm like, no, like, we're good. Let's just keep doing this not sleeping thing. Let's do that for a while. That'll be a great path forward. But then I was talking to my friend Joe. And my friend Joe told me, he said, man, we got a king bed. And it is roomy. And it is wonderful. Apparently, you can just roll over whenever you want. That sounds, I was like, that's amazing. I didn't think about that. And I saw the light when Joe told me that. I saw the light. I, I, I first saw that I was wrong. And then I saw the goodness of the king bed. So we bought one this week. And last night, slept in it last night. I couldn't even see Christy over there. I just waved goodnight. It was awesome. I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night because I'm old now, and I do that. When I came back, I'd been having to be like a ninja. into the. I just kind of like cannonballed into the bed. Didn't even have to worry about it. She never woke up. It was amazing. What an amazing night. Now, I could not be converted until I saw I was blind. I couldn't couldn't see something I needed until I saw I was wrong. We are blind to our blindness until God's grace breaks in. For three days, Paul is in darkness. He has to come face to face with this unsolvable problem. It's just horrible. I don't love that we have this problem. It's very frustrating. But it's there. That we can't get our acts together. We can't overcome our sinful nature. We need forgiveness. We need acceptance from outside of ourselves. And Paul has to come face-to-face with his blindness, his inability, his anger, his self-righteousness, that inner weariness. He has to come face-to-face with all that. I would love to have a whole book by Paul just about those three days. And then we read this, Acts 9, starting in verse 10. A bit of a read here, 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias... from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brothers Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, Saul is Paul, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Same guy. Actually, in Acts 13, Luke just begins to call him Paul, but it's the same name. It's not a name change, like Simon became Peter. That was a name change. It's not a name change. It's the same name. Paul and Saul, is the same name. It's kind of like Henry and Hank, right? John and Jack, you know, William and Bill, Saul and Paul. Same name, just happens to be. This is a little Bible study nugget. Point number two, our conversion, our conversion is created by God's pursuit of us. That's how we're converted. God was on a mission to woo Paul to himself. And he's with you as well. That's the mission he's on with you in your heart. The word for this conversion, this word, it simply just means a change of position or direction. I was that, and now I'm this. Right? We love, us good Christians love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul wrote this, by the way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing? Isn't that relieving? That's amazing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So that no one may boast. British pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he explained it this way. Conversion is the first exercise of the new nature in ceasing from old forms of life and starting a new life. It is the first action of the regenerate soul and moving from something to something. So, if we kind of break this down, God's grace breaks the weary, stubborn, self-oriented, selfish will to see our need of help. That activity of God's grace through the Holy Spirit reveals our need of Christ. We can say it this way: regeneration, God's grace to us, we're getting technical. Regeneration is the implantation by the Holy Spirit of new life in the soul. That's regeneration. Conversion is the experience of that regeneration as repentance and faith. So maybe you were in a church and you prayed prayer. Maybe you even filled out a cart. Maybe you walked an aisle. Maybe you took your first communion. Fantastic. I don't know what experience that was. Wonderful. Wonderful. If it meant something to you. Wonderful. All of that experience was because of God's gracious regeneration in your soul. That's what enabled the conversion. This is the power of the gospel that breaks into our hearts. This is why we're not insecure and anxious Christians. It's because our conversion rests in our regeneration. And God just freely gives us forgiveness and freely gives us righteousness and this new life. Suddenly, under this one-way love, just like if your grandfather bailed you out for the DUI, and you're on the way home, and he just pours out love on you, your heart is endeared because you've been loved in your horror and in your shame and guilt. It's lavish. It's also the mystery and the power of the gospel. Paul writes this about conversion, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means there's a new self that's endeared to God and walking in a faith walk. Point number three is this. Conversion is the beginning of our faith walk. Resting in Christ and learning to walk in the new self. That's what a faith walk is. Resting in Christ and learning to walk in the new self. When Christy and I got married, her nana and granddaddy, I've showed you picture nana and granddaddy before. This is nana and granddaddy. Sweet nana and granddaddy. They've passed away at this point. But they had this one acre lot out in Lawrence. They lived in this little ranch house. One acre lot. They had a huge vegetable garden. They had just beds of flowers. Amazing, amazing yard. We would drive out there. When we were young and had nothing else to do, and we would just drive out there, they'd just give us buckets of flowers, and we'd come home and plant them. My favorite thing to get was Linton Rose. Anybody have Linton Rose? You're an old person like me, and you actually know what that is, or you care. None of y'all care, apparently. So <laughs> I knew it was a bad illustration when I wrote it. But I said, I'm going to stick with it. I'm gonna just going to really stick with it. <laughs> well, Thursday morning, I walk out my back door, and here's what I see. Fire that, that's what, that's what I said. Highlight of my week. Lenten rose. Popped right up out of the ground. It wasn't there before. Now, here's what a whole bed of lenten rose looks like. Just so you get an idea. That's a bed of lenten rose as it develops and grows. It's also called hellebore, in case you're wondering. That's free. i give that to you for free. <laughs> so lenten rose arrives when spring arrives. It's one of the first flowers to pop up right when all that death is turning to life like it is right now outside, this flower leads the way. Now, of course, linden Rose is named Lint. Lint is beginning, even this week. Lent begins this week. And that linden Rose, it dies back during the winter. It stays a little green. If you have it, you know what I'm talking about. That's why we kind of like it. It stays green, but it slowly just dies back. You have to have that new growth. And then sure enough, springtime comes. Springtime happens to it. And it is regenerated by the sun. And a conversion occurs. That's the point of this whole thing that y'all don't even care about. Because y'all don't care about Len Rose. That's the point. Springtime happens to it. And a conversion occurs. New life comes. It's a beautiful image. A horrible illustration. Beautiful image. Of the new self that we have. God's beloved child that we are in Christ. It's amazing news if you're worn out at all or tired, or beat down, or guilty. That new life could come from outside of you, and you could be loved in that place. That's amazing news. Four implications of newness of life that we experience in Christ. This is just four I thought of this week. You might come up with four other ones this week. Here's four that jumped out at me this week. As we come alive to God's love for us, the guilt trip and the self-righteousness reports can cease as we are always forgiven, and always righteous in Christ. That's new life. As we come alive to God's love for us, number two, as we come alive to God's love for us, we know our true selves, not as our wallets, bodies, or trophies, but as God's beloved children. Number three, as we come alive to God's love for us, we are liberated from performanceism to live by the Spirit in freedom and love. Now think about this guy in Ananias in that Acts 9, before I say number 4. We, we know about nothing about this guy. We don't get much information about this guy. But what a story here. This Christian in Damascus, this terrorist murderer, shows up into his town, who's looking for people like him. Right? He's looking to arrest people just like him. And then he's supposed to go t- to him? Of course he's like, oh, hold on, Like, I've heard about that guy. I've heard about him. I don't want to go toward him. But he goes. Isn't that amazing? That he goes toward the very man who's after him. Ananias goes. Here's the last implication. As we come alive to God's love for us, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in love and bravery, not fear and timidity. Darkness to sight, old to new, fear to love. So I mentioned Lent does begin this week, the season of Lent, that church season. Maybe you've heard about it. So it's the 40 days leading up to Good Friday, 40 or so days leading up to Easter Resurrection Sunday. Wednesday, this Wednesday is known as Ash Wednesday. Sometimes you see people walking around this Wednesday, you might see a little cross made of ashes on their forehead. Maybe you'll do that. Those ashes were historically taken from the palms from Palm Sunday the year before. Remember, Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. So all those palms taken the year before, it's celebrating that passage where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, Everybody's waving the palms and saying hallelujah. They would burn those palms historically, that celebration, burn them, take the ashes the next year and use them for Ash Wednesday. It's a way to say all my earthly hallelujahs get burned up. It's a way to say I'm still more weary and more fickle than I want to admit. And I still need God's grace to me. It's about us as mortals understanding, remembering from dust you come and dust you return. Buried in Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I close with this Acts 9 19 through 22. For some days, he, Paul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was christ darkness to sight old to new and fear to love let's pray together god thank you for your grace to us that disrupts and interrupts our lives how much we need to be interrupted by you we need to be pursued by you that any of our pursuit would be rooted grounded secure in your pursuit of us we need to see our blindness this morning that we might be able to seek and be open to your help Thank you for your lavish love to us that is so lavish and free. Help us to know our true identities in you. Help us to know and be free of guilt trips and self-righteousness reports and help us to be freed into courage, bravery, love, obedience, godliness, a life of honoring you, not because we have to, but because our hearts have been endeared to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.